Hello and welcome to the Community Broadband Bits podcast from the Institute for Local Self-Reliance. I'm Lisa Gonzalez. In episode 34, Christopher and Dwayne Hendricks travel back in time. Dwayne has been involved in the telecommunications industry longer than most and goes over some history for us. Dwayne discusses a term many have never heard, the national information infrastructure. Dwayne and Christopher compare today's fiber and wireless environment with past plans for community networks and how those plans altered in just a few short years. Here are Chris and Dwayne. Dwayne Hendricks is back with us on Community Broadband Bits, the CEO of Tetherless Access. And uh, the guest who was the first to make a repeat is now the first to make a three-peat. So welcome back, Dwayne. Uh, thanks, Chris. Thanks for having me back. I, I want to make sure people know that you can actually run into both Dwayne and Hendricks and I at uh, Freedom to Connect in Washington, D.C., coming up on uh, uh, March 4th and 5th. Uh, it's a terrific event. Uh, Dwayne always provides incredible wireless access. So if you want to get a sense of how good Wi-Fi should be, um, that's a reason enough to to come by. Um, just Google Freedom to Connect and uh, or F2C, and uh, you'll find the details. Dwayne, you you had reached out to me after um, listening to the uh, Bruce Kushnick interview that we had done, um, talking a little bit about the history of some telecommunications efforts, and uh, noted that there was some really uh, there were some really important other issues that that we didn't have a chance to talk about that uh, that we should discuss. So, um, tell me what those are. Well, I'm really glad you I had Bruce on, and uh, gave him the opportunity to talk about what he's been up to for quite a number of years. A lot of people aren't aware of his excellent work. So uh, I'm glad that happened, but it spurred me to uh, contact you via Twitter and do a rant about uh, uh, a bunch of stuff in the historical record of that period that Bruce was uh, zeroing in on. I think it was actually a 12-tweet rant, which is uh, the, the best I've ever seen. So kudos. Okay, thanks. So... um. What I want to do here is to um, talk about the historical record, and I want to start by asking you, have you ever heard of the terms the National Information Infrastructure and the unlicensed National Information Infrastructure? You know, I have not. I've, I've, um, I've seen them occasionally in print in, uh, in older filings or, or history as I've tried to get a better sense of what was being done in the 90s. Um, but, but it's not a term that I've really come across in, uh, in my work, um, you know, on a day-to-day basis. That's what I suspected. So I want to correct that because I think it's very important because um, a lot of things get forgotten uh, in, the, in, the, in the current parlance. It's like things that have happened five years ago. I mean, you sort of have to hire an archaeologist to go discover them, you know, rediscover them. All right. It's, it's sort of bad. The institutional memory in, uh, uh, in government is terrible, like at the FCC. OK, so what I want to do is go into that a little bit. And uh, by start by just taking um, going doing this little story about my past and that um, when I was in high school, uh, the famous science fiction writer Harlan Ellison came by to give a chat to the student body. And one of the things he brought up was that, because somebody asked him, well, how do you come up with your stories? I mean, you, you write all these wild things, and where do you get these ideas? And he says, well, you know, things aren't, it's, it's very easy to do that. And he, and he said, uh, for instance, like, think about you wake up one day, and you remember this event that occurred, but nobody else does, okay? You're the only one. 
All right. How would you feel? I mean, he said, you could write a story in that. So he said, let me illustrate. And he says, how many of you here have heard of the holiday, the national holiday, Sweetest Day? That's S-W-E-E-T-E-S-T, Sweetest Day, okay? And hardly anybody had in the audience, and there were about a 1,000 people there listening to him. And But I had, you know? So... And he says, well, this holiday is, was concocted by the candy industry and started in 1921. And um, it's been forgotten. It's like in your generation, my generation, we remember it because it was basically promoted by the candy companies. Okay, this is like this talk was in the early 60s. Right. I was kind of I was imagining that it turned into Valentine's Day. No, it didn't. And it, it, it still, if you go to Wikipedia, you'll see, see that the candy companies are still promoting this day. It's the third Saturday in October. It's Sweetest Day. Okay. All right. So there you go. So um, so I thought about Bruce, and it's like everything that he talks about, he must feel like a character in that Harlan Ellison story, science fiction story. Okay? Because all this data that he's turned up about how the telcos didn't do X, Y, and Z that they promised to do is like nobody knows about it. He's like an archaeologist going back into the past. The government, our government at every level, has a very poor institutional memory. So when he goes back to Washington and talks about this stuff that happened in the, uh, in the 90s, it's like, you know, what are you talking about? Um uh, a more recent example is uh, there was this company called Metricom that was in existence in the late 90s, and uh, they had a uh, nationwide, well, regional, and a number of cities uh, coverage offering Internet, okay? Their network was called Ricochet. Well, San Francisco was one of the cities it covered, and Metricom went out of business in 2001. But they had wired the entire San Francisco area, including Marin County, Oakland, you know, all up and down the Bay Area, um, up to Santa Rosa, down to Los Gatos. Tremendous effort using Part 15 on license. Why? What is Part 15? What does that mean? Is it just a, a signifier? It's Part 15 of the FCC rules. Okay. Okay. So it's just it's just a chron. Every time they make a new rule, they just increment it by one. No, no. Their their parts are assigned as certain kinds of services, and Part 15 is where unlicensed devices are. Okay. And the unlicensed rules that Wi-Fi uses are known as Part 15.247 and Part 15.249. Okay. Okay? Towards, you know, like about 2008, okay, Metrocom had been gone for seven years. Um, I was in San Francisco talking to people in the city government, and I mentioned the Ricochet Network, you know, and to the IT people. And they looked at me like I had two heads. It's like, what are you talking about? You know? And I said, well, and I explained it. And I, you know, it's like, well, you know, this covered the entire city. It was on all your light poles and stuff. Really? So you see what I mean? Absolutely. I mean, I think ultimately it's amazing to me. The more I look back at electricity and how it developed, uh, they were wrestling with so many of the same problems. And that's not to say that telecommunications and wireless and, and fiber optics have all the same characteristics of electricity. But 
so many of the same problems were wrestled with then. And and to hear people talking about it today, you would think that this was a whole new problem and that we had no sense that we'd never wrestled with it in the past. So it's frustrating. And to some extent, you, you, you can't assume it's unintentional that there's this lack of historical memory. It's the there's certain industries that want to guide policy in a certain way, and they want to make sure that no one's sort of digging up in that history. And when someone does, they're immediately discredited. When you when you look at the way that Susan Crawford's been attacked, you know it's oh she just wants to return us to the 1900s and this and that. Um, it's it's just um, you know I, I want to pile on a little bit and say that it's not just an accident of history that this happens. No, it's not. It's deliberate in in, in, in quite a few cases. Okay, so um, I think it's very important to uh, refresh people's um, today about what the historical record was about. You know, to tell a story. What Bruce is doing, he's become a storyteller. Unlike a storyteller, it's not passive. He's also aggressive in that, like his plan now to go uh, after the ALEC initiative. Right, the organization that's uh, been in- instrumental in passing so the laws in so many states to the benefit of the big cable and telephone companies. Right. Okay. So what I want to focus in on is that I do things like I try to segment things into decades. So if you look at the significant thing that happened in telecom in the um, 80s was the Part 15 rules. Okay. Okay. That enabled Wi-Fi. All right. If you look at the 90s. Okay, Clinton, the election in 92 brought Clinton and Gore into office. Okay, they took office in January of 93. And um, one of their first initiatives, Al, was into the, uh, you know, the whole Internet thing. Uh, But it wasn't a public Internet at the time. That didn't happen until 95. But um, what Gore was instrumental in cooking up was part of the Clinton administration was this thing called the National Information Infrastructure. Okay, it was the equivalent of the national broadband plan that Janikowski kicked off during Obama's first term. But the national broadband plan is a pale shadow compared to the national information infrastructure. Think of listen how that 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 phrase rolls off the tongue. National information infrastructure. Okay, well. They went, the Clinton administration went to the telcos and, and, uh, and the stuff that Bruce described started at the start of the Clinton administration. So I won't go over all that, but there was a push with wireless in that there needed to be a wireless component of the national information infrastructure. So Apple Computer took point on this and people aren't aware of this history, but they spent millions of dollars on regulatory affairs in D.C. pushing this agenda, okay? And I sent you a copy of the um, their petition for rulemaking that was submitted to the FCC in 19, May of 1995. It's a, it's a very important historical document because the national information infrastructure got a lot of press at the time because uh, the telcos were talking about pulling fiber to all the homes in the United States, Gore and Clinton were going out doing prep photo ops, pulling Ethernet cable in schools and libraries. Now, think about this. The president and the vice president are got their shirt sleeves rolled up, and they're in some schools pulling Ethernet cables through the ceilings. Okay? Right. So we were actually more ambitious in terms of making sure people were connected in 1995 uh, than we are today. 
Yes. We had a vision in that this national information infrastructure included the concept of not just telco-owned and operated networks, but community networks, okay? Right, that's actually a phrase that that appears fairly early in the um, the Apple filing that you sent me, and I was I was just amazed to see that. Yes, and that was an important part of the, inf- the national information infrastructure. Okay, so that petition for rulemaking gives you the vision, and it was a, it was a wonder. And when you look at that vision um, that took place during the Clinton administration, and you look at the Obama administration, it's like, well, what happened? How do we go backwards? Okay, so let me fill in the blanks some more here. Um, so I, I talked about this decade view. So the the significant thing of the '90s was the national information infrastructure and the unlicensed national information infrastructure. Then we had the decade of the 2000s when the Bush administration came in, and we basically went back in time. Okay, all right, nothing. All right. Then Obama came in, and we have Janikowski, and well, I won't even. I'll, let's just leave that. Everybody knows what's going on with that, but let's go back to the Clinton administration. Okay, so let me outline this. Talk some more about the national information infrastructure. Um, the petition that Apple submitted was, uh, as I said, quite visionary, and, and if you look at where Part 15 was at that time, uh, Apple had started and got the FCC to enact a service called Data PCS, in that they felt that there had to be a cleared ban that was not the ISM bans that could be used for unlicensed devices, data devices. Okay. Now let's let's take a step back for a second and just you know we have this this electromagnetic spectrum that's all around us and the FCC is basically in charge of parceling that out in, within the United States for um, they have a couple of different objectives but um, the um, up until this point I mean we're mostly focused on things like radio broadcasts and communications of military and television broadcasts and that sort of thing is that is that right That's right. And so we have a whole bunch of spectrum that's still sort of unparceled out, and Apple's coming up with some ideas of, of how one could parcel it out. Yes, because what they had in their back pocket was Newton. Mm-hmm. Newton hadn't been announced yet, but they know that they needed – see, part of the Newton uh, model was ad hoc networks. And Newton was sort of the iPhone 20 years early. That's right. Okay. So they knew that to make Newton successful – they had to deal with this problem was like if you were gonna you needed wireless and you needed ad hoc wireless, well where was it gonna where were you gonna get the spectrum for that? Right, and ad hoc just basically means that you have devices that can talk to each other without having to go through some sort of centralized system, right? Right. No APs. It's like basically you go into a, a conference room, say, with a bunch of Newtons, people with carrying Newtons, and they form an ad hoc peer-to-peer network. Mm-hmm. Now think about that. It's like that's what Apple was talking about, and we still don't have that today. I mean, there is peer-to-peer extensions to Wi-Fi, but nobody uses them. We all go through access points. And this is where I think the, the critique of uh, Bob Frankston comes in, right, which is that for the most part the companies that dominate this interest are, are worried about billing paths, and they want to make sure that everything goes through them so they can charge you for it. If, if you can just talk to any other device around you, you don't need them. Bingo. Exactly. Okay. So 
now you get an idea of why this vision was very important and that Apple was driving, uh, you know, they had a new innovative product they wanted to get out and they were willing to spend millions of dollars. And this is before jobs came back to the company. All this transpired. Right. Uh, I was involved. I had co-founded Tetherless Access in 1990. And um, so I was involved in this push in that I spent a lot of time at Apple working with a guy named Jim Lovett, who was the one leading the charge on this um, wireless initiative, the regulatory part. Mm -hmm. Uh, And he was a part of uh, Apple's advanced technology group. And people don't, I mean, millions of dollars. So Apple was in Washington before a lot of people are aware. So they got this uh, data PCS service, uh, which is uh, an extension to part 15. And um, they were able to get 20 megahertz, 10 for what are called asynchronous services, and then uh, 10 for synchronous services. So the telcos got in there and they wanted spectrum for circuit switch kinds of uh, wireless connections. And Apple and others like HP and IBM wanted asynchronous services, data services. So they got 10 megahertz allocated for each one. And the rules that got uh, adopted were, were developed by the industry. And they were, they were called a spectrum etiquette. So the idea was you had a, a clear band that the rules were the devices that used that spectrum had to use a spectrum etiquette. And everything else was like the regular unlicensed service that we know, in that nobody had more uh, rights to any part of this spectrum access than anybody else. So um, 10 megahertz wasn't enough, and Apple knew where they were going, as did Sun and HP and others, and they wanted to be able to do video, and they wanted to basically have enough spectrum to do, say, about 25 megabits. Mm -hmm. So they immediately started the push for the unlicensed national information infrastructure band. They identified some spectrum at five gigahertz, 300 megahertz of it, and uh, they asked the um, commission to create a new part 16 service that would be like part 15, except uh, there wouldn't be any else in, anybody else in the spectrum uh, except uh, part 16 users, okay? so that you could design your devices so that they didn't have to worry about any interference from any other kinds of devices. So, um, and and the other things they wanted was um, they put forth this notion of community networking in that the notion was because part of the national information infrastructure was running fiber to schools, libraries, and government offices, okay? And that's what the vice president and the president were going around you know, showcasing, hey, we've got to get the places wired up with Ethernet, okay, when the fiber comes. Because the telcos have promised to bring fiber to all these buildings, mm-hmm. okay? That was the national information infrastructure, okay? And then the libraries and um, uh, uh, schools, think about it. What Apple did was they said, look, you know, people or governments place schools and libraries where the population is centered. Mm -hmm. So they've done a pretty good job as to placing these things so that there is, uh, so if you can essentially have a wireless link that can go uh, 15 kilometers, you can go from one school to another, okay? All right? So what they wanted was um, some rules so that 
you could have point-to-point links that would allow you to essentially link up these schools, libraries, and government offices, and they would be the hubs for the community networks. Mm-hmm. So um, this thing, again, the, the commercial internet didn't start till 95, so this was a pretty much an infrastructure that was protocol agnostic, okay? Um, but if you think of it from a TCP IP standpoint, what they were talking about was enabling independent autonomous networks. Right. And so the unlicensed NII uh, were essentially going to enable you to now use 5 gigahertz, and they picked that band because the spectrum was available, but it also had the characteristics with that, that they wanted to enable this ad hoc community networking model. So the idea was that people in the communities could build networks from the ground up. This, the, the thing about Apple was they were really successful. They were able to get this data PCS service um, from start to finish in just a couple years, which is in Washington amazing. If you look at like some of the proceedings going now, like white spaces and how many years that's taken, Apple submitted this petition in May of 1995. The report and order that essentially brought the service into existence was issued in January of 1997. Now, isn't that amazing? Right. Yeah. I mean, it seems like someone was motivated to get it done. Right. Okay. So, I mean, but the Clinton administration was behind this, and that's how it happened. Okay. They kicked butt and took names. Okay. And industry was behind this. Okay. All the leading information companies, and it got done. And it shows you what can happen. But you see, the whole lobbyist organization as we know it today didn't exist then. Right, they learned from that, right? Aha! Yes, you got it. Yes. Okay, they learned from that. So in the second term of the Clinton administration, he got all tied up into the impeachment and all that stuff. And then the Telecom Act of 96 came out, and that's when the telcos started to take over. So for the the later part of the Clinton administration, the NII was abandoned. So just to get the chronology down, even though the Telecom Act passed and then even it was after the Telecom Act passed that the FCC completed the order, but there's still just the inertia of everything, right? That And that's what ended up slowing down. Yeah. Yeah. And that uh, equipment manufacturers had to was like, what? You mean we got 300 megahertz of spectrum? What? You know, what are we going to do with it? And so it took a number of years for uh, – unlicensed NII devices to get developed. And uh, and then we were into the Bush administration. And then, you know, they they didn't support the NII, of course, because now the telcos were running the uh, running the show. So so what happened there then? Well, there were no advocates in the government anymore. And there weren't any. Oh, advocates I guess the, the, I guess what I mean to say is, yeah. wh- why did the government need to do anything else? Wasn't it wasn't it completed more or less? They'd parceled out the spectrum. Well, what was missing was the fiber to the schools and the libraries and the government offices. Okay. okay. All right. What Bruce talks about. Okay. That was the missing piece. It was like Apple did their part, you know, and in record time, they got these new rules in place for this new service. Okay. And if the government had kept their thumb on the telcos, then everything would have come together. But without the fiber, that there was no why, – why build the wireless networks? 
Right. So so basically you sort of have the, the chain of events breaking down then. Without fiber um, deep into the communities, there were no towers that could support the services. So the device manufacturers had no reason to manufacture devices that nobody could use if they bought them. Yep. And so what happened to that, that band of spectrum? Well, it's being used by Wi-Fi. Mm-hmm. So if you look at, again, that decade, it started in 2000. That was a decade of Wi-Fi. But the Wi-Fi mostly started off on a different – I mean, the Wi-Fi mostly didn't use the 5 gigahertz, I thought, until later. That's right, until later, and, and it's not really using it effectively now. And it still has the, the power limitations, doesn't it? I mean, it can't go the, the distance that was envisioned by um, Apple. Is that – am I right in that? You can use – like with Ubiquity, you can do point-to-point links that do far beyond what Apple envisioned. Oh, okay. So, I mean, we have the devices now to implement the original unlicensed national information infrastructure plan. Mm-hmm. But what's lacking now is the vision. So if you look at the national broadband plan that uh, the Obama administration came out with, it's about pipes and the speed of the pipes. But it's not about an architecture, a vision about, okay, we're going to have this national thing, and there's going to be a telco part, and there's going to be other parts. There's municipal parts. Everybody can play. Right. It actually reminds me when I read Reed Hunt's book. So you say you want a revolution, right? That I read his yeah. book, and it was interesting because it occurred to me um, that I, I got a better sense of what happened in the 90s, where it seemed like the Clinton administration won in the sense that the internet wasn't just envisioned as a way of transmitting video um, from powerful people to consumers, uh, from powerful corporations to consumers. And so we sort of won in that regard. But in regard to the national information infrastructure, it still continues – to further this idea as put forth by uh, the Bush administration and now the Obama administration that essentially big companies should be the ones building the networks and figuring out how to use them. And the network shouldn't just be something that anyone can go out and experiment with and build and, uh, and uh, connect their neighbors or, or, you know, those around them. Exactly. Exactly. So, I mean, in some sense, we didn't really win in the Clinton years so much as they, you know, it was like a temporary victory in terms of the Internet being this idea of just anyone being able to innovate and connect. Um, and over a period of 15 years, the the companies that sort of lost that early battle circled back around and they've captured pretty much everyone that's in elected office to thinking the way they do. Exactly. They control the vision. So what I'd like to do now, and your show is going to help get this out, is like, hey, let's go back to that national information infrastructure and the unlicensed national information infrastructure and bring those back. That's a better model, and I think it would please Frankson, you know. Yep. <laughs> uh, that's a better way to go forward than the current national broadband plan. Right. The historical documents are there, and when people see this historical document and see what was being done back then, you know, I, they'll get a better idea of how we we got shafted. Right, and how just how much potential there still is. Right, we haven't we haven't lost our opportunity. Uh, we still have that opportunity if we if we put our minds to it. Yes, we do. So, but we've got to get fiber. You know, we've got to get fiber out there one way or another because. Mm-hmm. We've got the wireless spectrum and we've got the devices, but without, you know, it's got to be a hybrid network. 
And, and, and it's not just the technology, and I, th- and I know that you know this, but just to make it clear, the it's not just a matter of getting Verizon's fiber out there. It's getting fiber out there that is able to encourage interconnection and innovation that's not just being controlled by a corporation with a very narrow idea of how it should be used. Exactly. Remember Sweetest Day and, uh, and what Harlan Ellison said about how easy it is to concoct a interesting science fiction story. So when somebody walks up to you and talks about an event that you're not aware of, don't brush him off. Look into it. There might be something there, like the national information infrastructure. The more I've learned about how each community has solved their own problems, a lot of times they're inspired by people who tried to do something in the past and it didn't work out. Yes. And so all success uh, comes from getting back up after you've fallen down. And maybe when people dig back to that era, they'll come away with a different idea about Apple and what and what it did. Yeah, it makes me a little less of an Apple hater uh, for myself. So, <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, really, I mean, before Jobs, there was an Apple, and uh, it was doing a lot of amazing stuff. And I could do a whole show on that about Newton and all the missed opportunities, the stuff that uh, Jobs canceled when he got back. Mm-hmm. Well, it seems like it's the the continuing tension between Wozniak and Jobs, and the two of them are both incredibly visionary in different ways, and um, I I would love to see Wozniak's visions being ones that we fulfill more moving forward. Me too. Well, thank you so much again, Dwayne, for coming on and uh, and bringing um, some history lessons so we can have a better sense of where we've been, um, which is always helpful in figuring out where we should go. My pleasure, Chris. Till next time. Yes. That was Christopher talking with Dwayne Hendricks, CEO of Tetherless Access. As Chris mentioned in the podcast, this was Dwayne's third visit to Community Broadband Bits. If you haven't already, you can hear more from Dwayne in episodes 18 and 25. Be sure to check it out. We're sure Dwayne will be back in the future. His wealth of experience in telecom always brings an enlightening conversation. If you have any questions or comments, please send us a note. Email us at podcast at muninetworks.org, and our handle on Twitter is at communitynets. This show was released on February 19, 2013. Thanks again to the Mojo Monkeys for the music licensed using Creative Commons. The song is called Bodacious.